So there is a there is a question, and I think it's often unspoken, but it's the, it's the central question that Christians have to ask themselves, which is that if in fact Jesus has opened up eternal life to us, if Jesus has set us right with God, should we accept that offer? Should we should we actually take Jesus up on the offer of eternal life that um, He makes available to us? It, um, that's that's the question that we have to wrestle with as uh, Christians or people who are um, studying Christianity. There's the question, what if you don't like what's on offer? What if what if you get to eternity and you decide you don't like it? Years ago, I saw this cartoon. Um, it's too small there, so there's there's a zoomed-in version. Um, <laughs> And, and this is, this is bad theology. You know, I could, I could tell you all the ways that this is bad theology, but it, but it asks the same question. It says, what if God's plan for eternity doesn't suit you? What if you, what if you get there and you decide, I wish I'd brought a magazine? You know, that's, that's the question that, um, that, uh, we have to, uh, deal with because, because, um, because how could we possibly embrace something if we don't Think we're going to like it. So that's that's the question. And the good news uh, is that is that we don't have to wait. We can find out right now whether or not we're going to like what God has in store for us. We can find out, you know, what what uh, whether or not it's suited uh, for our temperaments and so forth. Uh, and uh, so we can we can figure that out. We can we can take a test drive. We can we can uh, kick the tires and decide is is the the plan that God has for my eternity one that I would actually like so so that's that's the question we're going to talk about today in in this letter that we've been looking at for the last several weeks paul has paul has explained how jesus has set us right with god there's nothing keeping us from um, having that eternity on god's side and so the question is what about our side do we want do we want to uh, take god up on this offer and um the the way that Paul gets at this so so that's the question he's going to be looking at today or helping us helping us uh, wrestle with today and the way he gets at it is based on this idea that the kingdom um uh, uh that that there is a, a split in history that there's two ages that there is the present age which is the the age leading up to the time of Jesus and what Jesus has done to redeem the world and then there's the coming age the age that that is is uh on on its way um, that um, that is called the the age of the kingdom or the 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 um, eternity there's all kinds of ways you can describe it but um, I because it's a it seems like a simple idea there's the the um, uh, time before Jesus came and there's the time of the kingdom uh, and Jesus said when he first began ministering um, he said to people uh, the kingdom of God has come near. He's saying, he's saying that time of waiting, the time, the the, the time before I came, is is now um, complete, and now I can announce to you the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. But you know, you, all you've got to do is look around uh, and and see. Well, you know, this doesn't look like heaven to me. Um, but also, Jesus said, and yet it's not really here. In the way it will be, that there's there's going to be something different. So he taught his disciples to pray for um, God's kingdom to come. So even though he said the kingdom has come near, it's 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 available now, 
But at the same time, it's not here in its completeness. It's not manifested now the way it will be um, when he returns. So there's this there's this period of overlap um, between them that that uh, that the 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 previous age the I should do it this way. So all right, the previous age. <laughs> so it's backwards for me. So the previous age is is here and. And then there's this period of overlap, and, and we live in that overlapping period. We live in, sometimes it's been called the already, but not yet. We're already part of this, this new age, this kingdom age that's arriving, but at the same time, it's not really here. It's not completely here. Jesus described it by saying it's like a seed growing in the ground. It's there. It's growing. It's doing things. It's having an impact, but you can't tell because it's covered over with dirt at this point. We can't see what the kingdom is doing. So that's the situation we live in. Um, Paul uses a different metaphor here. Instead of talking about a seed, he says, he says it's like the dawn. He says it's not full daylight, but it's not full dark either. That it's in this in-between space, that, that the sun is, is having an impact. You can see the sky is beginning to light up, but it's still dark where we are. So that's, that's the, the idea that's going on. So, so there's night and day and dawn in between. We live in the dawn period. We live in that in-between period. And because of that, because we live in that in-between period, the kingdom age is now available for trial. We can test it out. We can, we can, you know, slam the doors. We can kick the tires. We can decide what do we think about the kingdom age. We actually have the opportunity to participate in it right now and not have to uh, just take it um, uh, uh, blindly when when um, Jesus returns and, and inaugurates it in its fullness. So the kingdom age is now available for trial. So how do you do that? How do you try out the kingdom age? Well, the, the way you do is by saying, okay, if, if it had come in its fullness, what would be the, the characteristics of that kingdom age? If, if it were here completely, um, then, then what would be obvious to everybody? What, what is the part that will be obvious like a, a seed when it comes out of the ground? And the answer is love. Paul says in this letter, he says, um, that it is the, the defining value is love. Jesus talks about love. He says that love is the greatest commandment. To love God and to love our neighbor is the greatest commandment. Um, he says that uh, his disciples will be known as his disciples because of their love for one another. His little brother, after Jesus ascended to heaven, his little brother James uh, wrote a letter, and in it he says that the the command to love our neighbor is the royal law. It is the characteristic of the kingdom of God, that loving our neighbor is the royal law. And uh, the apostle John, in, in one of his letters, he says that the person who does not love does not know God because God is love. So the defining characteristic of the age that is coming is is um, uh, is love. So love is the essence of the kingdom age. So um, if we can love, then we can we can participate in that kingdom age in a way that will help us to evaluate it. So that's that's the place Paul is coming from in his letter today. So we're going to look at it now, starting in verse eight. He says, don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to uh, love one another. So that seems odd. You know, when you're talking about obligations and love together, you don't normally put those two together. I don't, at least. 
you know, when, when, you know, you write a, a, a check to your mortgage company or something like that, you don't think, what a loving person I am. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm simply paying my bills. I'm paying the things I owe. So, so Paul's saying, don't be in debt except for this obligation. And, and so we say, what he's, what he's playing on here, he's trying to pull back. He's, he's, uh, he began in chapter 12 saying, how do we do this? So he spent the first part of the letter talking about, um, why, what's, what is the, the thing that God has done that enables us to, to participate in eternity with God. And then he says, so what do we do? Well, he says, love God. And so he begins in, in chapter 12 by talking about how we can love God by living sacrificially. But that gets him very quickly into the idea that, that you can't really love God if you treat the things that God loves badly. That if God loves your neighbor, then um, if you treat your neighbor badly, then you're not behaving in a loving way toward God. So very quickly in chapter 12, he starts talking about the way we relate to other people. And he does that at the beginning of chapter 13. But now he wants to pull back. He wants to kind of go back to the big idea. Don't, don't get lost in the weeds, you know, the details about how exactly we can love our neighbor. So he wants to pull back and say, this is what we ought to do. That, that he's, he's changing the subject kind of, um, artfully, uh, and, and, our translation here doesn't do it much, much justice. But if you think about the English words owe and ought, they're related. If you go back you know, to Shakespeare or something like that, ought just means the things that you owe, that I ought him $7 or whatever. And, and uh, we, we have a little bit of that today when we say, when we say what, what ought I do? You know, I ought to phone my mother or something like that. And, and we'd say, well, I owe it to her. Right, I ought to do it because I owe it to her. So we have a little bit of that in English as well. So Paul's Paul's changing the subject back to his original topic by saying that you owe it to do the things you ought to do. So that's that's what he's saying here. It's not that it's necessarily loving, although I think you could make an argument that it is to to not be a sponge and pay your debts. But um, but he's but he's he's actually changing the subject back. He's saying he's saying that. Love is is um, the thing you ought to do. So now he's pulled back to that. So he says um, we ought to um, we ought to love, but you know this is still hard for us because in our society love is an emotion, right? You know, watch a movie. You know, if it you know, if it's a rom- romance, then it will be obvious love is an emotion. If it's a rom-com, it'll be uh, two emotions. It'll be romance and comedy. But we have this idea in our culture, the pop culture, is that love is all about that that butterfly feeling, you know, the intense passion. Uh, and that that's that's uh, a legitimate type of love. But the ancients were, were more... Um, uh, they were more sophisticated. They had a better view of love because they actually distinguished different categories of love. The ancient Greeks, for example, had seven different types of love. So they, they would talk about this kind of love or that kind of love, a brotherly love and things like that. So, so, in Philadelphia. So, um, so, uh, they, they had uh, more types of love and what, what the, the one that had to do with the, the passionate emotions was actually the one that's like you, you know, you gotta be careful about that because, you know, if you, Kidnap Helen of Troy, then the next thing you know, you've got a whole war going on. So, so they were very cautious about that super strong, um, uh, uh, emotion of love. And they said, well, there's other kinds as well. So, uh, you, if, if we remember that, that there are all kinds of love, um, that, that ultimately what love is about is desiring the best for the other person. To think of them as an individual, to appreciate them for who they are, and to want the best for them. 
to not simply see them as as a means to your particular ends. That is unloving. But to see them as as an individual with their own needs and desires, that is the essence of love. And because and and this is why there's so many types of love that are not that that strong, passionate type of love. You know, the love of parents for each other, the love of a friend for another friend, the the love of um, uh, uh, a couple uh, that is that is. Uh, um, uh, been married for 70 years and, and they still have uh, a love, but it's no longer the kind of intense uh, love that when they were courting or something like that. So Paul is talking about love, but as more than a positive emotion. He says that, um, or he's talking about the, the broad category of love, all those different types of love. And he says the emotions will follow, that the love will create the positive emotions and, and more than that. And, and we'll talk more about that. So he says, he says, um, he says that um, we should um, recognize that, that uh, love will create its own emotions over time. So he continues. He says, love, whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. What does he mean by that? Well, he explains the commandments, don't steal, uh, don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments are all summed up in one word. You must love your neighbor as yourself. So what does he mean by that? So again, this is the thing. We have trouble with the idea of being commanded to love because we have this overlay of emotion. You can't you can't command emotions. But remember, Paul's talking about more than just that emotional response. So he's saying this. He's saying the commandments tell you what not to do. They tell you, you know, be this way around other people. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't don't use them for your ends. Use them. You know. Don't don't do that. Instead, he says he says they are summed up in the the word to love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason for that is because the commandments are kind of a minimum standard. Like Jesus said in the in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, "Don't murder" is a minimum standard. But there's actually something much higher, which is what they point to. The commandments point to a higher type of relationship, that loving relationship, where it's not just, well, I didn't murder them, but it's, but it's, I, I, I love them. I actually do my best to get along with them, to, to see them as an individual and to, to, uh, support whatever their particular needs are. So he says, love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. That if you are loving someone, then you're certainly not harming them. So you have met and exceeded that minimum standard of the law. So Jesus, so Paul is saying, this is why the commandments are all met. If you do the, if you do the, the, the love. So that's, that's the, um, that's the, the, the answer to his question. Why, why is love the, um, why is love the, uh, the fulfillment of the commandments? But then he continues. He says, as you do all this, you know what time it is. The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. Our, now our salvation is nearer than when we first had faith. The night is almost over and the day is near. He's saying we're in that dawn period. We're in that, it's not dark and it's not really light yet either. We're in that dawn period. You know what it is. He's saying that, that this is available now. That, that, that yes, it's, it's not sunlight, but it's not dark either. That you live in this time period. He's saying there's nothing stopping you from doing this. If you want to try out that kingdom age, you know what time it is. The, the dawn is on its way. I mean, the, the dawn is here. Um, 
the 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 sky is lightening up and you can you can actually do this now this is something that's available to us so how do you do that how do you do that well he says so let's get rid of the actions that belong to the darkness and put on the weapons of light so that's that's the the answer but that's still a little confusing what does he mean by that well he says um he says darkness and light so again the 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 present age or the 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 age that is passing away and the age that is coming so darkness is the is the age that is passing away and the age that is coming is light so he says if these things are passing away quit doing them right why would you want to you know become even more expert at those things now some of those things we would say well are shameful jesus talked about how uh the people who do evil hate the light that they they want to conceal their deeds. So Paul is saying, yes, there will be some things that are in that big category, things that pass away um, that would fall in that category of shameful, that you, you know, or secretive that you don't want people to know about. So he says that. But more than that, it's anything else, anything that is not a part of the age to come. Why would you Why would you invest any effort in doing that? He says, put those away. So so um, so uh, some of the things that, that would be. Um, uh, in that would be things that in, in that category would be things that we would we would say are shameful, but they wouldn't that that they did things in in first century Rome that we would find offensive um, you know uh, we would find appalling and uh, one of you know that, that, that were literally um, as common as church on Sunday that people made no bones about it. You know, they actually put it on their calendar. That's the day we're going to do this thing. And I, let me give you some examples. One of them is the Saturnalia. That is basically what Paul is talking about here when he says, let's behave appropriately as people who live in the day, not in partying and getting drunk, not in sleeping around, not in obscene behavior, not in fighting and obsession. So the Saturnalia was basically partying and getting drunk. That was, and it was, it was on the calendar, you know, what are you, what are you wearing to the, the, the Saturnalia? And the answer is probably not a lot. Um, um, so, so he says, don't do that. And, and if it was a Bacchanalia, uh, for the, for the Greek god, uh, Bacchus, that was basically where they threw in the sleeping around and the obscene behavior. So these were things that were, they were public. They were, they were widely, uh, celebrated and enjoyed. Uh, people did these things and Paul is saying, but they're passing away. Those things are passing away. So, so don't invest any time or effort in them. He's saying those things pass away. And you say, well, you know, I haven't been to any Bacchanalias. I haven't been to any Saturnalias. This is an easy one to, to deal with. But remember, he also says not in fighting and obsession. So um, that kind of brings it home. You know, there's the thing that, that, would have been, um, that would have been perfectly normal for them that is probably shameful for us today. I mean, maybe you thinking about that one New Year's party that got out of hand. But... Um, but he's saying, he's saying, you know, those things, but also the things that just won't be part of the age to come, fighting and obsession. The things that we think, well, that, there's nothing shameful about that, you know, uh, or maybe it's slightly, maybe it's a little embarrassing, I shouldn't have, you know, lost my temper or something like that. But he's saying, he's saying all those things are passing away. Those are, those are the deeds of darkness. Let them go. And he says, instead, instead, dress yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this answers what he meant he meant before when he said he said put on the weapons of light you know you go I don't even understand that sentence put on the weapons you know and and the answer is it's it's more of an armor it's it's the kind of weapon that is a defensive weapon and it is uh the Lord Jesus Christ he's saying put it on so the armor of light the the weapons of light is Christ so 
How do you do that? How do you put on how do you put on Christ? How do you how do you dress yourself in Christ? Well, some of you remember the old um, the old uh, what would Jesus do? You'd see bumper stickers WWJD, and and that's that's not a bad idea, you know, to to ask yourself what would Jesus do. The problem with it is that Jesus was so surprising. He was always surprising people. He was surprising his disciples. He was surprising the crowds, and he certainly surprised his opponents. That Jesus, not least by rising from the dead. But, but Jesus was surprising, so it's sometimes difficult, it's often difficult, to really have a good understanding of what would Jesus do in a particular circumstance. So that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a noble effort, but it's not necessarily going to be as successful. What we can do instead, though, instead of asking what Jesus, uh, would do, we can ask, well, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus actually do? We can actually look at, look at the scriptures and, and, Put ourselves in them to to say, okay, this is the way that that Jesus behaved in a particular circumstance. So we can read the gospel accounts immersively. We can put ourselves in them. We can say, uh, what would it be like to be there um, if I was one of the disciples? You know, Peter's doing his Peter thing again, and I'm standing next to him. What would it be like to actually hear Jesus answer that question? We can actually we can actually immersively understand what it is that Jesus does. So we get to know Jesus. We get to know him, and then we aren't surprised by the things he asks. So we can uh, we can read the gospel accounts immersively. If you're not a if you're not a reader, or you don't really care for reading, or you just have a poor imagination, and you can't you can't um, figure out what it is, you know, how would I even do that? Then you know there may be dramatizations like the Chosen series that that we're studying, um, where somebody else has done the hard work of imagining what it was like to be there, and you can just watch and get a better feel for, for what that might look like. So so one of the things we can do is we can read the gospel accounts immersively. And the other thing we can do is we can say, well, if Jesus wants me to do it, I will do it. We can submit to the discipline of submitting to his lordship to say, all right, Jesus, you're the boss. And if you say jump, I will say how high. If you ask me a question, the answer is yes, that we can just make that a discipline. I'm going to make a habit I'm going to make a discipline. When Jesus says to do something, I'm going to say yes. And so we can we can talk to God. We can pray, but not praying for a particular thing, not praying for you know help with some problem or something, but simply to say, um, I want to submit to you. I want to know what it is you want, and I want the strength to do that, even when it's surprising or difficult. I want to submit. I want to I want to begin living those kingdom values. I want to treat you as the Lord of my life. Right now, so one of the ways we can we can do uh, we can we can live the kingdom values is by um, putting on Christ. But Paul also says this. He says, "Don't plan to indulge your selfish desires. Don't plan to indulge your selfish desires." What does he mean by that? Well, among other things, certainly he means one thing. He's talking to people in first century Rome. They're getting ready for the Bacchanalia. There's one next month, right? And he's thinking, okay. Well, one of the things you can do is you can not have your toga dry cleaned, right? I can I can plan to not be there, right? Yes, all the people in my neighborhood will be there, and you know it'll be kind of awkward because they'll ask me where were you at the bacchanalia, and I'll say I didn't go, right? He's saying, but you can plan for that. You can figure it out. Maybe you can come up with an excuse why you didn't go. Um, there were like forty of these all year round. I mean, every couple of uh, days they'd have another one. So, so he's saying you you would be missed. I mean, if you if you never show up, you will be missed. But he's saying plan not to be there. Make a plan. Figure out how you can avoid doing the things that will um, that will uh, that will bother you. So, 
um, he says, don't plan to have your, your toga dry cleaned. He says, don't, don't get ready to do the things that are the, the, the ways of the darkness. So, what are those? Well, we might, we might ask, well, he says, he says the things that are passing away, he, he told us that the, 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 the um, drunkenness and partying, so we might think, well, does that mean that the age to come won't have anything to do with sex or alcohol? And Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't say it will. Paul is silent on this topic. And so for 2,000 years, people have been trying to fill in the gaps what Paul left out. What, which of those will, will characterize the age to come, if either? Will either one even be a part of the age to come? So, so there's a lot of speculation about that. And uh, to that, I would say, well, depending on your circumstances and who you are, you probably um, uh, may have a different answer than the people next to you. So uh, the, the big idea is that sex and alcohol are God's idea, that, that God invented both of them, that, that God uh, approves of each of them or they wouldn't be here. Uh, people wouldn't be capable of becoming drunk if God didn't approve of it at some level. But the question is why? Is it, is it something that's going to be used in a loving way or in an unloving way during this present age? And again, we don't know about the, the age to come. So some people are able to do that. Some people are able to, to, uh, use, use, um, substances in a way that, that uh, forms a social lubricant. It actually helps them to relate better to other people around them. Some people, it, it becomes their master that they can no longer submit to Christ's leadership because they are mastered by those substances. So it just depends on those circumstances. As for sex, again, God invented it. It's a good idea. Um, it, it is a, is an expression of love and intimacy between, between a couple. It's, uh, it, in, in the first century, certainly it led to children, which is also something that, that leads to more love. So sex can be a good thing, but it can also be used, uh, uh unlovingly as something that is simply, um, using the other person, exploiting the other person. So, so, uh, uh, remembering that, that they are God's ideal, we have to ask ourselves, well, maybe that's something that is not for me or not for me at this time. So, um, so sex and alcohol are God's ideas. But remember, there was those two things that even if you don't go to the Bacchanalia, even if you don't go to the Saturnalia, the two things that you probably have done at least once or twice, fighting an obsession. So, so how do you avoid that? What, what is your plan to avoid fighting an obsession? You say, well, you know, I haven't been in a fist fight for years. You know, it's been, it's been months since I was in a fist fight. Well, how about a quarrel? How about, how about a, a, a strong argument? You know, here's, here's a question. Do you have a strong argument in your purse or in your pocket waiting for you to turn it on? You know, all you've got to do is go on social media, and you can get into an argument in a minute, right? So we might ask ourselves, um, fighting an obsession, am, am I planning to be in a fight or obsession because because of my social media? And, and maybe what I should do is delete that app, because that would be a way to plan not to be in a fight, not to be obsessed, not to see the thing that they've got and say, I wish I had one of those. So we can do those things. So, the kingdom of God is available. The, the kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom age is, is as close as it could possibly be, but it is growing in secret. So, we have the opportunity to test drive it, to, to kick the tires and decide if we like it. And, and we, we don't have to, we don't have to buy a pig in a poke. We don't have to trust God about the nature of the kingdom 
to come. Now, we do have to trust God. We have to trust that God is not going to to bait and switch, that God is not going to give us uh, uh, an experience of of uh, the kingdom now that is different, um, except perhaps better, in the age to come. So we, we have to trust God that he's not going to just swindle us. But we don't have to trust him in the sense of, I have no idea what the kingdom is going to be like. Uh, the, the, the psalmist wrote long before the time of Jesus, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. We can actually try this out and find out. And when we do, we will find out it is good. The more we love, the the happier we are, the healthier we are, and the longer we live. Think about that. This, there, there's, there's all kinds of scientific articles that talk about this. That sometimes it's called the helper's high. People actually have positive emotions that come from helping other people. Um, it says altruistic, other-regarding emotions and behaviors are associated with greater well-being, health, and longevity. This is this is a scientific fact. You can you can actually test test the kingdom and find out if you like it, and you will. God is confident you will. Uh, because because he designed you. He knows what makes you tick. And so God makes it possible for us to enjoy living in the kingdom even before the kingdom is completely here. We, we who have trusted Jesus have a God who loves us and who wants us to love the same way. He wants us to be like Jesus and to be more loving. So he gives us the opportunity to try out the kingdom, to, to test drive it here in this dawn time before the sunlight so that we know what we want, so we can actually experience that God is good. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the flesh. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for um, for your love that, that inspires us but transforms us too. Help us, Lord, to, to see what you are doing, that our trust might be more complete and help us, Lord, to test out, um, to, to, to lean into the promises that you have made through these um, scriptures. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.